Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 139. We are recording on September 30th. I am Sharifa Williams here with Jen Northington, and today we are talking about some favorites from the summer of this year. It is that time yet again. One quarter ends, another begins. <laughs> it's unreal. I can't believe that October is tomorrow. Like, it'll be October when you're hearing this episode. That's bananas. I know. I know. And I was like, of course, like the the usual reminder that comes earlier and earlier is that you just see all of the holiday decor. Yes. <laughs> and yes. I'm like... This year is basically done. <laughs> right. I went out to the grocery store to grab a couple things this morning because I'm not going to have a chance later today. And I was like, oh, look yeah. at all those pumpkins. Like, I almost bought, like, 16 pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> I have already bought some some fall cords to put on the front step. So, yeah, I am also getting right into it. <laughs> yeah. I realized that probably I wouldn't carve them this weekend because we're supposed to get all the rain from Ian as it travels Ooh, up. Yeah. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll do gourds next week. So I think that's good timing. Yeah. Yeah. That's like speaking of which, like sending good thoughts to everyone who's been affected by Hurricane Ian. It's as it continues to mess with our lives. Everything. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm glad it hasn't hit here yet because I don't know what the power will do, but I am not getting it nearly as bad. Yeah. There's so many people on the side of the coast. Well, yeah. we are going to talk about our Q3 picks. Uh, but before we do, you're going to hear from a sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. All right. So before we talk about our titles, uh, we're going to get into some news. And thankfully, we have some pretty lighthearted stuff (laughs) this episode because there's so much else going on that we kind of deserve it. Everybody listening does, too. Um, So I wanted, since we were just talking about the season, I just wanted to talk about I think the, my favorite thing I've seen this past week, which is that there is going to be a Hocus Pocus house from Airbnb. And this was reported on by Entertainment Weekly and Jessica Wang. And so there is going to be a recreation of the Sanderson sisters' house. And 
It's really interesting the way they're doing this. It's, it's obviously like a promo for Hocus Pocus 2, which is out on Disney+. Plus. Um, is that today? It that, the is day today. Oh, wow. I totally somehow missed that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So by the time you're hearing this, it'll already have debuted on Disney+. Plus. And... So you can book a stay on starting on October 20th. That's when uh, the bookings will start. Uh, you can book a stay at a recreation of the Sanderson sisters house. And it's only $31. But of course, not everybody is going to get this opportunity. That would be wild. Um, but basically, it'll allow for two guests to spend the night in a cabin in the woods of Salem, Massachusetts, and the listing is already live. I, of course, clicked on the link and checked it out immediately. And from <laughs> the pictures, at least, it looks like a pretty, pretty good recreation. Like, yeah. it's a solid job. Like, it, it looks, you have to go through and look at the gallery of pictures in the listing itself. Um, but at 1 p.m. Eastern is when you can try to book the airbnb stay um and i believe actually so the bookings open you can actually stay starting october 20th but the to actually book the stay you have to sign on to airbnb and try to book it on wednesday october 12th and that's at 1 p.m eastern so there is so much <laughs> interesting stuff including pictures in this article um I think I am just going to go ahead and give it a try, even though I don't even know what the st statistical chances right. of actually being able to book this listing are. But yeah, you get to see a screening of the movie at the Airbnb, and it has all of the things you might need to uh, do some spell casting and be one of those sisters, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that you're going to try to book it. That makes me so happy. I mean, I'm a huge Hocus Pocus fan. I'm super excited about the sequel. I already have like plans with a friend. We're going to do our annual watch, but this year it'll be a double feature. So, yes. But I was, I'm was i not awesome. about to try to go to Salem, Massachusetts uh, for this, but I super support anyone and everyone who is. Yeah, I do. I feel like I will be one of thousands of people um who try this but i'm like now that i'm on the east coast like i was saying last episode i feel like i have to do like all of the things i wouldn't have been able to do because yes. you are responsible for your travel that's yes. one thing that's noted here you have to get yourself there yourself um so i'm like i could potentially drive to salem yes. i've always wanted to visit salem <laughs> so who knows delightful yeah. Uh okay, so here's some weird science news. Let's do that next. Uh <laughs> yeah. we, I found this article on Gizmodo, uh reported on by Isaac Schultz. This is very recent. The headline is the CIA wants to bring back the woolly mammoth, which you're like, what? How do those words go together? What's happening here? Um so weird. So there's this company called InQtel, and it is funded 
by the CIA. And it's like mission is to invest in technologies that like bolster national security, blah, blah, blah. And for some reason, it thinks that de-extincting the woolly mammoth and the Tasmanian tiger are good for nationals. I don't understand anything about this. Honestly, like I don't understand <laughs> why, why the CIA specifically thinks it needs to invest in this. Um, the company that's actually doing the work on trying to bring back the woolly mammoth is Colossal. And they are trying to like, yeah, de-extinct certain species um, and rewild them in hopes that it will like support, you know, ecology and economy and somehow reverse climate change. I really genuinely so don't understand much about this at all. Uh, it's genomics, you know, it's like Jurassic Park level, like <laughs> hubris as far as I'm concerned. Like you, what, what? I don't know. I, they also want to resurrect the dodo. Like I'm like, well, I mean, I guess that sounds cool, but like I don't, there's so many problems with this. Um, and also, there's, yeah. I just, it it doesn't make a whole, a lot of this doesn't make much sense to me. Um, none of this is happening soon, but, you know, taxpayer dollars is now going into this. In case you were curious, I encourage you to read the story over on Gizmodo. They do their best to explain what is kind of a baffling story. Um, I just am really struck by, A, it is sort of something out of Jurassic Park, but with, you know, mammoths and tigers instead of dinosaurs. B, there is a book that I read as a teenager called Earth by David Brin, who some of y'all will be familiar with, very popular sci-fi writer, especially in the 90s. And he, like, this is literally out of that book. Is there's a mm. there's a de-extincted woolly mammoth like in an arc? They're calling them arcs. These giant you know installations of protecting species, um, and they are like they've like created one, and are trying to like teach it stuff. And I'm just like, wow, it's, I mean, you know, thirty years later or however long ago that book was written, like here it is happening in the real world. <laughs> it's so strange, and they're trying to de-extinct. A Tasmanian tiger, the thylacine. I'm right. like, what? Like, right. I first of all, I they have like a picture of what uh, thylacine looks like from. It's a picture from the 1930s, and I'm like, no, I don't want to see that in the wild. And <laughs> I mean, at least I that was, one's more recent than the woolly mammoth. That's true. That's true. So, like, it might have some right. environment that will support it, but yeah. it doesn't, like, like a woolly mammoth does not have mm -mm. the environment that it thrived in. Like, we are already having problems with, right. you know, deforestation and... You know, the climate is the way it is because we haven't done a good job of, you know, protecting it and safeguarding it. Now we want to rewild animals to live in the tragic environments we've created. Right. Like, that just seems like cruelty. And also, me. like, what will that do to the current eco? Like, you can't just ex introduce a brand new species into an ecosystem yeah. and be like, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> like, what? It's 
hubris is the right yeah. word for this. It's yeah. just like I don't understand what set who did anybody at the table have any sort of sense or was this just like a you know f- completely financial decision because there is some information toward the end of the posts about like some concerns about the ethics of yeah. who can be on the board and it's like people who have investments in this only. So there's a lot of ethical mm-hmm. concerns as well as moral and ecological concerns. <laughs> and I just like, let's let's focus our attention and money elsewhere. Yeah. What if we didn't? What if we didn't? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Good question. What if no? <laughs> so uh. that's that story. Mm-hmm. Weird news yeah. from a weird world. Yeah. Um, well, we've got this is kind of a going to be a segue story, but I just looked at this list from Variety, and it's from Adam B. Very, and it's just a list of all of the Marvel Studios movie and Disney Plus projects in 2022, and beyond and i have become unexpectedly somebody who watches a lot of mcu products it's just Mm. like when there is nothing on and we are like you know doing having some streaming ennui just like constantly (laughs) looking for something we will usually turn to mcu just because there are so many things and this is you know this is proof of the fact that you can always rely on there being some new MCU thing to watch. So I don't think I realized how many of these multiverse saga movies are going to come out. So Marvel chief Kevin Feig was announcing all of these releases at San Diego Comic-Con and said that the MCU's multiverse saga will span at least 37 titles across feature films and TV series. That includes live action and animation. And there are still more titles coming out on top of those. And the whole saga is going to run from January. It's already started, of course, January 2021, all the way through November 2025. So this is like, it sounds like a long time. It's it's a little under five years, but the fact that that many titles are coming out in that span of time, that is just like wild to me. Well, like they're gonna spin-offs. try. I mean, how many will actually make it on time? That's a good point. That's <laughs> a good point, especially considering like other news that's yeah. coming out that we'll yeah. talk about later. Right. But it's just like I. I am just realizing how many of these titles are going to come out. So this has like a whole list you can scroll through. I am 100% not going to list them out. <laughs> like I have some favorites. Um, of course, the Black Panther yes. coming out November 11th. Huge. Like we talked about the trailer and all the feels that produced. Yeah. Uh, so I really, really can't wait for that. That might be at the top of my list. And then there are others that I just didn't know were happening. Like Secret Invasion mm. is one that I didn't even – like I know nothing about. But mm-hmm. um, it's going to star Samuel L. Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, Kobe Smulders, 
Martin Freeman and Don Cheadle. Um, and this is a 2008 comic storyline about shape-shifting scrolls. I don't know what a scroll is. They sound a little scary. <laughs> They're an alien. Um, They're an alien. Yes. <laughs> so it's really interesting to see all these. Do you have any any that you're looking forward to? or? Yeah, I read about? some of the scroll stuff at some point in my comics you know reading history so i probably will watch secret invasion um obviously you know world of wakanda very excited about that okay. angela Bassett looks so badass it's really amazing um i didn't know about I, i'm not really a hawkeye fan generally but echo looks really interesting that's for next summer so it could actually happen um and we get a uh deaf native american superhero um yes. which i was like yeah give me that into my eyeballs like let's let's do that thing that sounds awesome and um it's got a uh, kingpin as the villain who's a really interesting villain i always think so um so that could be cool uh i Actually, I'm, you know, gonna like <laughs> reveal some, you know, generational feelings here. They're rebooting the X Men 1997 cartoon. I am so right. excited about that. Like, yes, please. Like, that was my first introduction, probably, to Marvel. Was that cartoon? Yeah, I loved that cartoon. So, I mean, I, I made too. like my own superhero cards on the copier I oh like my at my dad's workplace I would like bring in like you know stuff and like photocopy and like make my like rogue card and here's my gambit card and like I was that is amazing so obsessed with them so I'm very curious to revisit it I would love to rewatch the originals um and yeah. so, yeah, so that could be super fun um, and very nostalgic. And then, you know, we're going to talk about this in a second, but the Blade reboot, which we mm-hmm. re- we rewatched the old movies when yeah. we heard about this. And <laughs> should I just like go right into the next bit? I think should you I? should. Okay. We'll yeah. just go. We'll just segue right into. So Variety has also reported on this, uh, J. Kim Murphy wrote it up, that the director, Basim Tariq, uh, has left two months ahead of production, um, which doesn't sound great, honestly, for no. Blade. Uh, you know, we're very excited because Mahershala Ali is uh, in the title role, which, like, amazing casting, right? Like, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was super excited that we got a, a person of color directing this movie, you know, because it does star a black superhero, and it would be really great to have more representation on the production side um, as well as, you know, the star side. But it's not going to be Tarek anymore, and we don't know who it is going to be yet. So, you know, I'm a little nervous. And this, like, keeps happening with MCU stuff. Um, I wonder what's going on behind the scenes there. I assume it's just, like, it's a beast to work on these. I can't imagine that it's not. You know, there's got to be a ton of rules about this and that and the other thing. So, you know, we'll see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> I I still really want this movie and want it to be great because Blade is an amazing character. So I don't know. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's supposed to come out November of next year. Yeah. I I hope that they find another person of color to direct this. Um, and of course, in all of the you know, statements made. Yeah. It's very like cryptic and yes. like, oh, I loved working with everybody right. and all the cast. And it's like you have no clue about what what actually took place yeah. to to get him to vacate his seat. Um, yeah. I think it says somewhere that he's going to be he's gonna stay on as I believe executive producer. Mm. Um mm. So I don't know if that changes anything or means anything, but I have my fingers crossed because I was also and am still, uh, I really, I just really want to see this new take on Blade. Yeah, yeah. And they like put Sam Raimi in charge of this. I'm going to write a really angry letter. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be a really unusual, like, there's a boundary. Yeah, like, I feel like it's like, oh, we like have to redo this. Like, somebody call Sam Raimi. You're like, no, please. Please and thank you. No, not that one. Please. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So that's, that's our news. (laughs) That is our news. And... Before we start talking about our exciting picks for our favorite summer reads, you're going to hear from another sponsor. All right. Let's talk about some books we loved the past few months. And it looks like you're kicking us off. It's me. Uh, So (laughs) I think actually on accident. No, no. Okay. They weren't both published in August. I was going to say, did I pick two books published in August? But I didn't. I So my first <laughs> one is my fantasy pick, which we talked about in Most Anticipated. It's The Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez. And let me tell y'all that I remember very clearly talking about the description of this book on that show. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm surprised because I read Jimenez's other book, The Vanished Birds, which is this, you know, amazing literary space opera. Um, And now, like, he's doing fantasy. Like, that's interesting. And the way they describe it is as a very straightforward, like, okay, yeah, like, two warriors on a quest, like, you know, to to save a god um, from, you know, the abuse that she's been uh, suffering. This book Mm -hmm. is anything but straightforward. First of all, it is told entirely in the second person. Second of all, you are moving between like a sort of modern-ish narrator who lives in a world of like trains and like radio and an ongoing war and is like thinking about... His Lola, who has died, and but who he was like the recipient of all of the stories of the old, you know, country. Um, and there's this fair, fair, you know, family heirloom. It's like a spear that's on the wall, and but he's like, you know, he's concerned about like how to pay the rent and like what's happening with his brothers and his dad and you know this war and like it's all very modern. And then he starts dreaming this fantasy quest except that again the whole time this is this it's second person so you you are the character you are dreaming this fantasy quest and it switches back and forth 
between these like sort of real world moments and then this fantasy history, quote unquote, and and the narrative, the POV sort of jumps around like you hear from all of these voices, both major and minor characters. Like this book is doing the most narratively, like the most, the capital T, capital (laughs) M most. I really feel like the publisher copy, I think they were just like, well, we don't know how to encapsulate this. So we're just going to be like, it's a fantasy quest. And I'm like, you undersold this book so hard. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is not what this is. It's amazing. I finished it this morning. I just was blown. I mean, I thought I knew what Jimenez could do because I read Vanished Birds. Wow. Like, wow. (laughs) It is. I just don't even know what to like. This is like N.K. Jemisin level like broken earth trilogy like narrative wow plus plus this like meta situation i mean it is really amazing so i just kind of don't even know how to talk about the specifics of it because it's so intricate and beautifully done i mean the world building is like chef's kiss like so (laughs) deep and broad and immersive and the uh, the way that it plays with these fantasy tropes, right? Like you do have this like horrible ruling dynasty, this aging emperor and his three sons, all of whom have powers. Um, and they have truly, you know, oppressed and corrupted the the throne. <clears throat> and we're following um, at, at sort of <laughs> again like it's all very twisty turny but we're sort of following this one warrior kima who is caught up in all of these like political shenanigans we've got you know this goddess who is breaking out of captivity um and turning people to her will but she is not she is not a like quote unquote good character either like nobody in this book is 100% good or, well, I actually would argue a couple of them are 100% evil, but, like, there's a lot of moral <laughs> complexity going on here. Um, the powers are, like, whew, it's 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 intense. There's a lot of violence. All right, I'm going to give some content warnings. So the characters experience ableist and homophobic slurs. Uh, there is a lot of violence. There is child abuse. And there is also some cannibalism, just like FYI. Huh. So it gets dark. It gets real dark. But it is all 100,000% worth it. I thought this was... I mean, if this doesn't win like a bajillion awards, I will write some more angry letters. Like, this is an amazing, (laughs) this is an amazing book. And I really need other people to read it so we can talk about it. So uh, I've been gushing about The Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez. I have to imagine that after hearing that description of the book many people are going to go out and pick it up because that sounds like intense in all the best sort of ways and anytime I hear that something is akin to or the same level of quality as like a Jemison book yeah yes I'm on board like the the way that this book centers the voices of the oppressed also is not something I've ever seen done in this type of fantasy before not in this particular way like obviously we're getting great fantasy 
out there that tackles these issues. But like the way that Jimenez is doing it is not something I've seen done before. And I just think it's freaking brilliant. So good. (laughs) I'll shut up now. Sorry. (laughs) I'm like, how do I follow that? But I think that the next the book that I I want to talk about was like I I really love this book. It's The Book Eaters by Sunye Dean. And this is this is also a dark book. It's a dark contemporary fantasy. It's set in England. I'll just go ahead and give the content warnings right at the top because this book is like rife with patriarchy and toxic masculinity and so many it's like a woman's worst nightmare in all sorts of ways so uh the content warnings for this are sexual assault child abuse child abduction and spousal abuse it is a intense book but it also has like a lot of action and adventure sequences and some lighthearted moments as well it's very like it's an onion. It has so many layers. Um, so in this story, in the book Eaters, the our protagonist is a mom. She is also a book eater. And we are going from present to past, uh, from chapter to chapter. We're seeing Devin's life as it is now in a very different Uh, She lives a very different life in the present versus the past where she's being brought up in this house, isolated on a moor, completely separate from human communities because the book eaters are not humans as we know them. Um, The book eaters actually do what they sound like they do. They eat books and that's the way they digest information as well as just survive and subsist. That's that's how they eat. Uh, and so Devin is raised in a family and there are multiple families among the book eaters who are scattered across the globe. But Devin and her family are Uh, mainly in communication with the families in England. And that's where a lot of the strife and strangeness uh, happens. So Devin, as a woman in one of these book eater families, is she has a different upbringing than the sons. So the daughters are prized and she grows up thinking of herself as a kind of princess because she is valued highly. Daughters are very rare in the book eater families. And there's a reason that daughters are prized. And Devin doesn't really understand that reason until she grows up and the proposition of marriage and what it all entails becomes painfully clear to her. And so she has this really one part uh, free-feeling and privileged upbringing, one part completely exploitative, horrible upbringing. And then we have Devin in the present where she is taking care of her son, Kai, who is a different kind of book eater. He is a mind eater, and there are all sorts of taboos that come with Kai's way of surviving and subsisting he can eat books he can he has to prey on humans and so Devin and Kai 
live this really fraught existence where they're constantly on the run. Um, We know that Devin is not with the families anymore at the top of her story in the present. And we're trying to learn why she's not with the families and what it means to have a son like Kai and the horrible, horrible things they both have to go through in order to keep him alive and for them both to survive. So it's so intense. It's so intense. Uh, Devin is basically like just the most, like when you think of of rage, like Devin is rage in, like personified. So she is full of vengeance and there are certain things that she, that are really important to her to accomplish as a mother and the length she goes to to accomplish those things and the sacrifices she makes are like, whew, they are, they they really get you in the gut. Um, and so it's just this really intense, fast-paced, but also atmospheric story about these families and about what happens when you know, there are divides and frictions and about the level of patriarchy and what it does to the daughters in these families and the toxic masculinity and basically being under the thumb of the men in amongst the books, book eaters. Um, it's just, I, again, it's just there's so much in this story. There are so many layers and it's so well told. I love Dean's writing and I was really in there, just enmeshed in the story. It was very immersive and also horrifying. There are some really, (laughs) really miserable, horrible scenes where I'm just like, oh my goodness, I just want the best for this character who has been through so much and has some really, really terrible things to go up against in this story. Um, So at the heart of it, it's about a mother's love for her children and the length she'll go to protect them. But it is a really imaginative story that talks about patriarchy and toxic masculinity in a really fresh and unique way and one that I think will be compelling for a lot of people who love dark fantasy especially. So that was The Book Eaters again by Sunny Dean. All right. I have been teasing y'all about Nona the Ninth by Tamsin Muir for a while. Yes. (laughs) So here we go. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. I have made for you, if you do not have time, because who does? Well, you might, though. If you don't have time to go back and reread Gideon the Ninth and then Harrow the Ninth before you start Nona, which I I, I did that thing and it was totally worth it. Um, But if you don't have time for that, I have made you a reading plan. I will put it in the show notes. What you're going to do is you're going to reread the epilogue of Gideon the Ninth. Then you're going to reread chapters 32 and the epilogue of Harrow the Ninth. Then you're going to read a short story on Tor.com called As Yet Unsent by Tamsin Muir that takes place in this universe. And then you start Nona because I swear to you, it's a book that 
is not giving you any easy answers, but you will be less confused about the answers you are not getting if you do what I just recommended. What a resource you are. I'm trying. That is amazing. Yes. It's uh I it's just I just trust me on this. Like you're gonna have a better reading experience if that's what you do. So uh, and shout out to the person whose name I did not write down and don't have in front of me who clued me in to uh, Tamsin Muir's as yet unsent um, story from the Tarval and Bus Discord, because you are totally right, person. It really does help. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So that's your reading plan. Again, it'll be in the show notes. Um None of the Ninth, if you're not aware somehow, is the third book in the Locked Tomb series by Tamsin Muir. It picks up the story of Gideon and Harrow, but we get a brand new main character whose name is Nona, and nobody knows who Nona is. Nobody knows. Who's Nona? We don't know. Question mark. She lives with some people we do know, including Camilla, who hearts forever for Camilla like just all of the hearts forever. Um, <laughs> and our POV is alternating between Nona and then there's this dreaming thing happening. And the dreaming thing mm. is a totally different storyline. And you're really not sure who's involved in that either. So <laughs> big questions. We learn a lot more about the worlds of the Locked Tomb series that are sort of on the fringes of the necromancy stuff, which is interesting. Like, because, you know, in Gideon and and, and Harrow, you're so immersed in the necromancy stuff, right? Like you are yeah. with the necromancers, you see their POV on how the world is. We get a very different perspective on this world from Nona's book. And I thought that was really smart and interesting. It's cool to explore like what that looks like to other people who maybe don't have these powers or and weren't didn't grow up around them like what does that look like um it's not particularly pretty so i know <laughs> but one of the things i love about this book is that you know i've talked before about how like gideon the ninth is a funny book as well as being dark harrow the ninth is like a trauma recovery book that is snarky but not particularly light or funny ever um nona has some lightness to it which i really appreciated um it is also a dark book like all of the darkness that exists in the first two books are present in here as well um and you know we've got war we've got violence a a lot of people, including, you know, women and children are being impacted by it. Um, and, you know, we're still trying to figure out, like, what is happening? What is happening? <laughs> I I can tell you that you may have more questions or at least new questions by the end of this book. There's not easy answers to anything. Um, but it's a ride and I am here for it. I'm here for it. So... I just, I don't even know how Tamsimir is doing this, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> and I'm really excited for Electo the Ninth, which we will get someday, probably next year. It's got to be next year at the earliest. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, super excited for the continuation of the series. Like, give it to me. I'm ready for it. I want it. I want all of it. I just am so into this weird, strange quirky 
skeleton-y world that <laughs> Mir has created. <laughs> um, so yeah, highly recommend. But like, don't don't jump into the series at this book, y'all. If you've not read these yet, oh, wow, you yeah. must start at the you you are required to start at the beginning. I require you. So you know, again, <laughs> that's Nona the Ninth by Tamsin Mir. I predict that when we get the final book in this series that will hopefully tie things up and answer these looming questions, we will hear a collective scream from everybody (laughs) who has been following and reading along with I think you're right. (laughs) I'll be one of those people. Oh, yes. Well, my final pick is deeply in the realm of speculation, a speculative literary novel, Um, and it is The Last White Man. It's by Mohsin Hamid, and the name might be familiar because of Exit West, which is like one of my maybe favorite all-time reads. So good. It's just, just, just amazing Exit West. Um, And this is very much in the vein of Exit West. And like, it's it's got the Hamid brand all over it. So this book is, is very obviously a commentary on racism. Um, and it's a sort of exercise in what if. It fits very, very well into that sort of Twilight Zone category of books and media in general in the format. Uh, and some content warnings right at the top, of course, because this is a commentary on racism. There is racism in the book. There is racially motivated violence. And there is a scene where there's blackface that happens. So Know that going into it. Um, and the story itself, the premise is that is based on the, around the question of what if white people woke up to find their skin color had changed and had specifically darkened. So uh, in this character in this story, the character that we're primarily following is Anders, who is a white man who wakes up at the very beginning of the story to find out that his skin is dark brown. Um, And Anders in this world, which is unnamed, uh, the place that Anders lives, this town is also unnamed. So this is one of the, like a Hamid brand thing that I was talking about. You, You don't know where you are in time and place. You have some clues that tell you it's a contemporary story and that the setting is uh, the Western world or what we think of as the Western world. So we're following Anders who wakes up to find himself changed and there's very initially a negative reaction to this change and Uh, It's the beginning, it sets the tone for the questions that come up as a result of this, what we learn is a spreading uh, phenomenon where white people in general are, their, their skin color is changing and it's changing to a darker color. So Anders is in a a sort of casual relationship, it can hardly even be called a relationship with a woman named Una, and uh, the story follows Anders as well as Una, so it kind of goes between the two of them. And 
both Una and Anders are white, and they live in a town where they often see familiar faces. They, you know, their acquaintances are white. The people that the only person Anders really seems to know who isn't white is a person who works at the gym where he's a personal trainer. And there are new thoughts that are introduced to Anders because he is no longer white. And because for the first time he is seeing people who are not white around him and thinking more deeply about them and their relationships to the white people uh, they've just been surrounded by and how they exist and how they are now seeing Anders, who is a different person, uh, aesthetically, you know, on physically. And so things change for both Una and Anders when this happens. And for Anders, his relationships change. His relationship with Una changes. His relationship with his father changes. And of course, his relationship with himself changes. And we see how this is affecting him. And the thing about this book is that the the writing is really spare. There isn't a lot of like, there aren't a lot of emotions. There aren't a lot of, uh, there isn't a lot of language that gets really into the feelings. It's it's almost like it, it tells the story in this sort of like, this is what's happening right now. And this is what happens next. It's just like almost travelogy. It's It's very pointedly steering away from assigning emotions to things. So the writing is very stark. It's spare. This is a really short read, by the way. I, I listened to the audiobook and the audiobook was just over three hours. So it's a, a really quick story. And of course, when all of these changes happen, that's when you start to see hints of like what we live with currently in the story and the consequences of uh, white supremacy that we live with and the change this phenomenon brings out an ugliness in the community that Anders hadn't seen before. It was a thing that existed but didn't come into, you know, didn't come up to the surface as far as Anders and Una could tell until this change happened. So in their own community, fear and racism bubbles to the surface in ways that they can no longer avoid or ignore and even in Una's case within her own house, she has to deal daily with the racism that exists there and what fear and fear mongering is doing within her own household and with her relationship with her mother. And there are also shades of the impact social media has on spreading white supremacy and white supremacist values and encouraging racism and violence uh, within people who are fearful of changes and fearful of people who don't look like them. Uh, so you have conspiracy theories that are being spread and people who are buying into things that the media is saying and postulating. And really the striking thing about this story um, among other stories that are out there that that do this is that it, it really does a good job of showing just how quickly white supremacy can radicalize people, how quickly fear can be converted into bigotry and how righteousness can lead to really 
deep intolerance of the kind that can create violence and how people who are righteous can be the the thing that they fear and they are the ones that create the danger in their own communities. So I thought it did a really great job um, of pointing that out. There are a lot of subtle questions about uh, what it means to be a person of color, what it means to have white privilege. And I would say that this is a book that's both fraught and hopeful. There's almost a pie in the sky hopefulness about it. And I think if Hmm. you read the book, you'll know what I mean about that. Um, And I I mean, there are points about that, that pie in the sky hopefulness that I sort of question. I I allow it because I think we could all use some of that. I allow it in my own mind. Um, But I, I also do that. And I would like to have that same level of hopefulness, but also not without the observation that there is a lot less sparing of direct harm in in novels about black and brown people where racism is at the heart of the story than there is in this book about white people who become people Mm. of color. So that is an observation. Uh, But I, this is just another one of Mohsin Hamid's books that really made me stop and think and gave me a new way of thinking about these questions that I know I think about a lot and I know a lot of readers Mm. and people out there are thinking about. So uh, for a very short book, it, it really makes you think critically about the world we live in and what might be. So again, that was The Last White Man by Mohsin Hamid. That's fascinating. I I just, there's a book, I'll have to find it and put it in the next show notes. There's a book that was published a long time ago that does like kind of a similar premise, but flipped. And I read Mm. it and was like, wow, this is interesting. (laughs) That sounds really familiar. Yeah, I'm going to have to look it up and I will put it in the show notes. But that would be an interesting thing to read those two side by side and see like how the thought experiments compare and like where we've come since that book was written and and where we are now with this new book. Anyway, sorry. Okay, I will. I promise I will follow (laughs) up. I'm making myself a note. What was that book? That's great. I'm so curious. So I'll definitely check out the show notes myself to see what that is. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, those were our picks. And of course, there are so many great books out there to read that were recently published. And I hope that you find something great for yourself. Uh, thank you so much for listening. SFF yeah is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks for, to her for making us sound great each and every episode. If you do want more recommendations, definitely check us out at bookriot.com. And you can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a moment, please do review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because it helps people find us. And we'd love to have more people listening to the show. And you can find us online in the meantime. Where can they find you, Jen? Occasionally, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. 
And you can find me on Instagram at S-I-N-A-B-Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B-Williams. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.